just a little warning about today's episode. There's going to be a number of adult themes and sexual language used. So you may want to turn the volume down or play this away from little ears. Thanks. Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. Exploring how as Christian mums we stay the salt of the earth in today's culture with women sharing their stories and wisdom. Hello. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Helen? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. Um, yeah. It's it's Monday morning for us. I yeah. actually had though, a relatively, well, it was a very stress-free school run this morning. It made me think that I've probably forgotten something, (laughs) forgotten a lunch or something. And we had one of those weekends where everyone was feeling a bit fractious. So I thought I won't plan anything. We'll just have like a a chill. Chill weekend. And that went, yeah, terribly as usual, because there's no structure and then everyone gets bored and doesn't enjoy being with each other. So next weekend, that's it. We're back on the, (laughs) come on, structured fun. (laughs) Everybody, we shall go for a coffee and you shall enjoy it. I can't imagine as a children's minister, you have sort of very chill weekends anyway. I don't do chill very well, to be honest, Becky. I I get bored. (laughs) Maybe it was my fault that the weekend wasn't very chilled. (laughs) I'm glad you had a stress-free school run because we realised at three minutes to nine that it was three minutes to nine and no no one had their shoes on this morning so did you get a late mark no we didn't yeah we didn't we didn't even have to sign in so i was quite that was quite exciting in my (laughs) books that's my definition of exciting anyway what is exciting is we have the lovely emma emma waring in today emma is a psychosexual therapist she previously worked as a nurse and moved into psychosexual therapy in 2004. She's worked closely with Nikki and Scylla Lee on the marriage and pre-marriage courses and is featured on there as their sex and relations therapist. Um, and she's also released her book, Seasons of Sex and Intimacy in 2018, which I read over the summer. So I'm very excited. Be um, starstruck. To, yeah, <laughs> I am a bit. <laughs> um, so hello, Emma. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, let's just get stuck straight in, shall we? Tell us a little about a little bit about you, Emma. So, um, as you've mentioned, I have quite an unusual job. Um, I'm called a <laughs> psychosexual nurse therapist or specialist. So it's quite a quite a, a, a mouthful to say. Um, and people are often ask me, you know, what's involved in that. Um, as you said, my background's in nursing. So um, I specialised in cardiac nursing after I qualified and I worked in cardiac rehabilitation, um, talking to patients and partners about whether it was safe to resume sex after a heart attack or after heart surgery. Mm. Um, I was doing a dissertation at the time for my nursing degree and I looked at this subject um, into whether nurses and healthcare professionals provide enough information for patients and partners on resuming sex um, And so it sort of fueled my interest. And at the time, one of the cardiologists um, was looking for a specialist nurse to set up a clinic to treat um, uh, erectile dysfunction 
mm. for male cardiac patients. So quite an unusual link. <laughs> um, and so I set this clinic up. This was the early 2000s. It was just after Viagra had come out, which was 1998. So this was a, a topic that people were talking about. Mm. Um, and uh, Viagra had revolutionized the way that people managed erection difficulties. Mm. So I set up this clinic. Um, and what I found was treating erectile difficulties was relatively straightforward as long as the patient was assessed adequately. But what I hadn't really bargained for was the emotional and psychological fallout for these men and their mm. partners, their wives, mm. um, who's, um, who were really struggling with sex and didn't understand how to manage this or uh, where mm. to go for help. And in fact, a lot of the men that I saw, their partners and uh, wives had left them. Um and so I, I really realized that I needed some additional training. So I trained, I did a two-year postgrad diploma in psychosexual therapy. And I've sort of merged the role really. So uh, that's why I call myself a psychosexual nurse therapist, because I bring in quite a lot of um, medical angle, thinking about the body and the way that that's impacted by different disease processes and illnesses. Mm. Um, and then I've sort of merged it with uh, the therapy role, thinking about uh, the psychological, emotional impact of sex and how it impacts a relationship. Um, and um, yeah, so it's it's been a really interesting journey. And I've been doing that since 2004. And I now run a, run a clinic from a, a private hospital in London, uh, seeing men, women and couples with all sorts of varied sexual problems and also mm. uh, relationship problems. Wow. You your yeah. job yeah <laughs> well one of the, one of the questions we got asked a lot on uh, social media was what is a psychosexual therapist and i think you've kind of told us so yeah. that's yeah. amazing <laughs> So, so what, you, what you're thinking about when you meet somebody with a sexual problem, and sexual problems are really common, um, but just we don't really talk about them. So everyone co that comes along often thinks I'm the only one that's experiencing mm. this, and actually mm. that's not the case at all. Um, but what you're thinking about is you're thinking about how the body works. Is there an obvious reason why sex is difficult from a sort of functional, physical point of view? So mm. erection problems is a good example. Mm. Sex is really difficult if a man can't get or maintain his erection. Um, another example for women might be sex is really difficult if it's very painful. So mm -hmm. you're often thinking about how the body is working um, and also how um, the, the psychological aspects. So there are some sexual problems which we might cover later, which the cause is kind of rooted in, in um, psychological issues or perhaps anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so it's thinking, it's needing to think about people in very holistic terms, not just thinking about the body, not just thinking about the relationship, not just thinking about the psychology, but merging these three things together. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. That's really helpful. Thank mm. you. Because um, I think sometimes we can presume, can't we, when, when we throw out these terms about what someone is in a, in a, a role um, that people understand and you know, I think as well with the other problem with, with therapies, I think our generation, certainly our parents' generation was very anti-therapy, whereas yes. our generation yeah. is maybe more pro-therapy, mm -hmm. but don't really want to talk, tell other mm -hmm. people that we're doing it. Um, yes. And so it's quite mystified mm -hmm. and um, yeah. So true. yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously with a Salty Mums podcast, so um one of the questions we had was how how do you see that mother motherhood impacts sex for a lot of women and men i suppose yeah <laughs> yeah 
that that's a really good question um and i see lots of couples actually that um uh have had children um and and then and that's kind of really disrupted their sexual relationship and it might be that i'm seeing them a year or two years down the line and they recognize that it's been really difficult to get the intimate side of their relationship back on track mm. and it can be um, for because of a physical reason, you know. Mm. So I've talked about sexual pain. So it might be that a couple, uh, a woman's had a really difficult delivery, um, and then obviously having children completely turns your life upside down. It's wonderful, um, but it changes everything. Mm. Um, so you know the routines are upset. You've got sleepless nights. You're exhausted. You might be trying to breastfeed and struggling mm. with that. Mm. Um, um, and a lot of women can feel very isolated. So they're used to going in to work, uh, to having uh, a social network through their work, to being connected to other people. And then they have a baby and they're spending a lot of time at home, often on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it turns people's worlds upside down. And it also really can change the dynamic in a relationship. So, um, you know, it can be all-consuming uh, for the mum. It can all be all-consuming for the dad, but typically what I might see in my, in my clinic is I might work with a couple where um, they've they've had a baby and um, it's been quite difficult for them to make that adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and emotionally, the mum is very focused on what she needs to do to make sure the baby is fed and well cared for. And um, so that's kind of her focus. And it's almost like everything else take, goes to the sideline mm-hmm. or goes to the bottom mm-hmm. of her priority list. And What's quite difficult is if a couple don't talk about that. So, for example, say I'm working with a couple where they've not discussed that. It may be that um, the man might have approached his his wife for intimacy. So he might be kind of really missing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just thinks, gosh, you know, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I've got so much to do. I haven't got the bandwidth to think about mm-hmm. that aspect of our marriage. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty is if you don't talk about it, then um, he will feel very or, or could feel very rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what often happens is he will shut down and it may be that he stops approaching his wife and they sort of reach. I talk about this in my book. They reach a, they reach the season of winter where it feels feels cold neither of them are able to talk about it mm-hmm. um she might feel resentful that she's got this new baby and she's struggling and yet her husband still expects mm-hmm. her to have sex with him and um he's really missing the sex with his wife but he doesn't know how to say that mm-hmm. so you can really see how three months becomes six months mm-hmm. becomes a year becomes mm-hmm. two years and then actually it's quite difficult then to get that the intimacy side back on track. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I work with couples who will come and say, look, we recognize this is an important part of our relationship, of our marriage, um, but we're really stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're not quite sure how to get how to get things back on track. So it might be that the functional physical side of the sex works. Mm-hmm. If they were to attempt sex, it would work in theory, mm-hmm. no sexual problems per se, mm-hmm. but actually they're a bit stuck relationally. So it's about Often my work is about getting couples to communicate better on the subject Mm -hmm. of sex. Mm -hmm. That's certainly, uh, I wish I had had you on the end of my phone when I had my kids. (laughs) Like, is this normal? For me, it was, I've been touched all day long by some other human being. I really, really don't want to be touched Mm -hmm. by anyone else. I just want to go to bed. I don't Mm -hmm. even want you to hold my hand. I just want to be by myself. (laughs) 
interesting actually a lot I've heard that a lot you know a lot of people say that I've been touched it's like I don't want to have to give out of my body again yeah 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 and Um, yeah same with I mean I breastfed for a long time (laughs) Um, and you you feel like your body loses um any well not femininity is not the right word but you just become like this physical it's not a sexual body anyway is it it's a a thing that people need (laughs) yeah it's sort of um yeah it's 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 hard hormonally when you're breastfeeding you produce less vaginal lubricant so you know from a hormone perspective actually your body is focused on something else Mm. um and just being aware of small things like that can make a huge difference because it could be that you've got a breastfeeding mum who is up for having intimacy but goes to have sex and suddenly it's really painful mm. and she doesn't she doesn't understand why mm. she hasn't ever needed to to add a vaginal lubricant um and it doesn't it doesn't cross her mind that she mm. might be able to do this to mm. aid uh, sexual comfort so it's little sort of tips and tricks which i which i put in to my book because in many ways I don't think sex therapy is rocket science I think there's lots of things that people can do for themselves to help themselves but it's uh, it's a because it's a topic we don't really talk about very much it's yeah. quite difficult to know where to go and get help and that was really the focus behind the book I was seeing Christian couples pastorally who were saying um uh, you know we're struggling, but but we go we've gone online to look for help, and actually we've ended up coming away with some really unhelpful, uh, you know, come across some really unhelpful things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably worth actually saying that um, I've written a book for Christian couples. That was sort of a passion that I had, um, but I'm not a Christian sex therapist. So mm-hmm. people sometimes ask me that. Um, I am a Christian and I am a sex therapist and Mm. I run a secular clinic, but I do work with lots of Christian couples, Mm. uh, possibly because I've written the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, People come to me knowing that I do have a faith and actually they find that reassuring. Mm. So how you sort of talked about um, better communication um, between couples, but I think often women just don't feel sexy after mm-hmm. having a baby quite often. And how, how can mothers reconnect with their sexual desire? Um, so what's interesting is, is some research has been done looking at uh, women, heterosexual women in long-term committed relationships. And they say that there are a couple of key things that keep desire alive. This is not specifically relating to motherhood it's women in general but i think we can we can glean some useful tips from this mm-hmm. um so the research looked at about 650 uh women and three themes came out the first one is that you need intimacy in a relationship but you don't actually want too much intimacy you, you don't want to be um uh uh, too reliant you don't want a symbiotic relationship where you don't have your own identity mm-hmm. um the second thing is um celebrated otherness which kind of comes off the back of what i've just said around intimacy we've got to keep our own identity 
Um, and that's a really key, important thing. I don't know if you're familiar with the sex therapist, Esther Perel, um, who's written a book called Mating in Captivity. And she talks about how do we keep desire alive in a long-term committed relationship? Mm -hmm. And we actually need to keep some separateness. Now, this is quite challenging if you've just had a baby mm -hmm. um, and that baby is sort of literally attached to you. <laughs> time but I think for women in those situations it's really important that they are very intentional about taking some time out for themselves so it might be that you have an agreement with your husband that on a Friday night you're or a, 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 an evening you're going to do a feed um, and then you're going to give the baby to him mm. and then you're going to go out and you're going to meet some of your friends mm. So you take yourself away from the home. You take yourself away from the place where you are a mother mm -hmm. and you take yourself into an, into an environment where you're, you are yourself and you can connect with that part of you. And for a few hours, it's not, you might be talking about your baby, but you might also be talking about other things mm -hmm. that remind you that you were your own person. Mm -hmm. Did um, I tell you about my Sainsbury's little habit that I got into? No. This is terribly sad, but... <laughs> Once a week, we used a timetable. I had an hour and a half out that allowed me like half an hour to get somewhere and get get back. And um, because that was about as, as much time as I could get away without breastfeeding, it's particularly my second child who just wanted to feed all the time. And so what I opted to do <laughs> is go to Sainsbury's Cafe, <laughs> buy a magazine, you know, like one of those yeah. real pure trash Trashy magazines ones, yeah. that makes you feel like actually your life is probably all right yeah. and have a cup of tea a pot of tea yeah. and, a, and a trashy mag and i'll tell you that was that hour and a half was life-giving life -giving. just my I, own I, hour yeah. in yeah, a cafe i so agree with that and the thing that's interesting about that is is it doesn't have to be expensive does it i mean it can be it can be the same as cafe it be the park bench to be honest it, yeah it, it's about it's about reconnecting with yourself mm. so it might be like like you were saying that actually you wanted a bit of time to yourself just reading a magazine it might be that somebody's partner takes the baby out and they have a really long bath and then they watch mm. you know they, they, they watch half an hour of tea, their favorite tv program so it, it's about being very intentional mm. um to work out how you will get your needs mm. met mm. and i say that was important for me as well like if yeah. sorry to interrupt you if 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 it had have just been, you know, my husband would often say, why don't you go and take some time out? And I'm like, no, I can't because I've got the washing up to do and I've got yeah. this to do and I need to do this. And I, whereas it was like, well, at five o'clock, I'm going out. It wasn't ever a, I never felt guilty then about doing it because yes. it was a diarized thing that I was going to yeah. do, which is yeah. so ridiculous now saying it out loud, but it worked. So yeah. I think, I think. I think actually it's so important to diarise these things and make sure that they happen because if you don't, then you can have this sort of secret plan in your head about what's going to happen. Yep. Yeah. So you've got this idea that your husband's going to come in from work. He's going to recognise that you've had a really stressful day. He's going to your arms and say, please go out and take an hour and a half to yourself. And of course he's, he's not going to be home. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing, thing is um object the other theme that came out was object desire affirmation and, and this is an interesting one so it suggests that women can get in touch with their sexual side if they're desired by their partner 
So, 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 say somebody walks through the bedroom with some nice underwear on or something, and and their and their husband says, "You look hot in that." Now, they might not be feeling hot in the underwear, but actually, the fact that he's made a comment um, that shows sexual desire actually enables the woman to connect in with that part of herself, and and um, so that's really important. So, so in in ensuring that. Um, you know, couples are able to share how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that uh, you might not be even having sexual thoughts and your husband says, you look hot in that, actually is very important for women's sexual desire. Mm-hmm. So so it's quite important that that men recognise that this, that it often takes comments from them to enable women to get in touch with the sexual side of themselves because the the research looking at female sexual desire by a, a, a researcher called Rosemary Basson suggests that women are often in sexual neutral mm. now it's not that we don't want sex I, I hate this sort of stereotypical societal view men are always up for it and women aren't <laughs> it's simply not true and that's not certainly what I see in my clinic, I would say as many men are not interested or have low sexual desire as women. Mm. Um, But what's interesting about the research suggests that women um, don't have spontaneous sexual desire in the way that men do. Um, They are much more likely to have responsive desire. Mm -hmm. Um, So men have more spontaneous desire and men actually look to have sex because they want intimacy, whereas women tend to have want to have sex as a result of feeling intimate. Right. Interesting. Okay. Um, so we we do operate slightly differently. Mm. And in your book, you talk about the spontaneity of sex a bit, don't you? And and being intentional about timetabling sex. Can you just yeah. unpack that for us? Well, it's a little bit like the example you were giving. You kind of diarised your trip to Sainsbury's. And if you hadn't done that, there could have been misconceptions around it not happening or other yeah. things happening and taking priority. And so in sex therapy, we have a we, we have a term called timetabling where um, I might work with a couple where we establish that if the couple wanted to have sex, they could functionally nothing's rock going mm-hmm. wrong body parts are working as they want them to mm-hmm. um, but actually the reason they're not having sex is because they are very very busy they have lots of other demands and sex is just goes to the bottom of the list and they're too mm-hmm. tired it's a lot so, of admin isn't it sex sometimes yes so so, so this, this this is more admin so it's, it's basically sitting down and saying um okay when when are we likely to be able to take an hour let's say to to have some time together now for some couples the way this works well is if you tag it onto a date night so you know if you agree we're gonna go we're gonna have a date night once a week um and actually there will be an expectation that after that we will have some sexual intimacy it doesn't have to be full penetrative sex in sex therapy we talk about sexual intimacy rather than Mm -hmm. sex per se um so some couples like to do that, but other couples, they 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 have all, they they get very stuck in the way they think about sex. So I get them to think about it a bit more creatively. So I'll give you an example. It might be that they say, um, "Well, it's really difficult to have sex because our teenagers are up, and by the time they go to bed, you know, it's kind of eleven o'clock." Yeah. And then I'll say to them, "Okay, well, you've got you've got teenagers who probably like to have a lie-in on a Saturday morning. Mm. What about going back to bed after breakfast? 
Or what about, you know, uh, your, your teenagers are happy to entertain themselves on a Saturday afternoon. What about you You have sexual intimacy, you earmark that time after lunch or kind of late afternoon. And because we, we typically tend to think about sex as being last thing at night or maybe first thing in the morning, we don't often think creatively about when are we most likely to feel rested and up for it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting couples to think, yeah, a bit more creatively about the time of day that would suit them. And lots of couples actually say that that works really well for them. But but again, they kind of need to diarise it because if you've had breakfast on a Saturday and one of you is planning on going to home base to go and get some paint <laughs> <laughs> and decorate your spare room or something, yeah. and then the other person's thinking, you you know, that that's when you get yeah. um, com- points of conflict. It's interesting because um, quite often um, I work with couples and and um, they're struggling to find time in their week to have sex and a long period's gone by and they're not and they've come to me because they need a bit of help. And so we'll talk about this idea of timetabling and then they'll, they might say to me, I don't know, I don't, I don't think that will work for us. <laughs> and I really like the idea of it. So I'm a bit facetious and I'll say, okay, what what I think probably just keep doing what you're doing. And they say, but that doesn't work. That's why I come to you. And I say, exactly. I know this might be a difficult adjustment to make, but if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same outcome. You have to do something different. Mm-hmm. And um, although couples often feel it's a bit clinical, it takes away the idea of spontaneity. Actually, Esther Perel says, you know, once you once you're in a committed relationship, you you will have had a period of spontaneity, <laughs> yeah. and, and actually, you've just got to accept that goes out the window. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you you have to be intentional. So, mm-hmm. I think scheduling it is an is an excellent way to ensure that it takes priority and is something that is regular. And there's an interesting some interesting research by researcher research by a researcher called Amy Muse. She's a Canadian woman. She did research looking at um, tens of thousands of couples in committed relationships. And she found that um, relationship satisfaction correlated most highly in those couples that had sexual intimacy once a week. Hmm. Um, they had higher levels of sexual enjoyment and higher levels of sexual uh, of sorry relationship satisfaction. What was interesting was the couples that had sex more than once a week didn't have higher levels of relationship satisfaction. So it wasn't the more sex you had, mm-hmm. the, 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 the happier you were. Mm-hmm. But regularity and once a week seems to be the kind of optimal time. Um, uh, seems to have the best out come in terms of sexual enjoyment because I guess you're doing it regularly enough mm. to kind of get in get into a routine know what your partner likes know what you like mm. there's not this sort of awkwardness that you might have if you haven't had intimacy for six months mm. um, and it and it relates to higher levels of relationship satisfaction which I think makes sense mm. And I mean, you've, you slightly just dis- dismissed the stereotype that men are, men want more sex than women. And um, but you do write about um, the fact that generally um, there's a quarter of men and women who are in a relationship and they don't share the same level of sexual interest as their partner. How mm-hmm. how can people resolve this as a couple? Because it's I don't know, I've, I think it's quite hard just to sort of, you know, because obviously someone has to compromise somewhere mm-hmm. there, don't they? <laughs> Yes, yes, that's a very that's very true. Um, so the first thing I think to think is what was sex like in the beginning of the relationship and has something significantly changed? Mm. Um, 
So sometimes I will say to couples, you know, if, if I could wave a magic wand, what, what, what does success look like? And sometimes couples are very able to say, we would like to be able to have sex in the way that we had it at the beginning of our relationship. Mm. So it might be, you know, once a week or twice a week. Um, um, and the other person might say, that's just simply not realistic now. We've got children, I'm working again. Um, you know, I, I so it's about kind of compromising. So it might be that you say, okay, um, it's not realistic to have sex twice a week, but is it realistic to have sex once a week? Um, and what's what's important is, first of all, it's communication. So you need to start talking. Um, has something changed? Usually it has. So uh, something may have changed and you need to understand what that is and adjust to that. So it might be that children have come along. It might be somebody's caring for an elderly relative and that's taking up a lot of time. Um, uh, it, it could be all sorts of things. It could be somebody has mental health issues. Um, it could be somebody struggling with a, a, a medical illness and needing treatments of cancer, for example. I think it's uh, talking about it, agreeing what is realistic. And one of the difficulties you have in couples where there is desire discrepancy, so one person wants more sex than the other, is um, they the person that, that wants more sex can become a bit predatory. Mm. Um, so because they get rebuffed and they feel rejected, mm. they can seek out sexual intimacy more because mm. they're feeling hurt. And actually maybe having sex really feeds into their self-esteem and mm. um, the feelings of self-worth. So if they're rejected, um, uh, they might not step back and think what's going on. They may pursue it again. They may pursue sex later on that day or maybe the next morning or maybe the evening. That irritates the person that is not wanting to have sex yeah. as much. So you get this situation where sort of you're almost chasing each <laughs> other. The, the one that wants it is chasing the other. Um, and that can mean that that person shuts down even more. Mm. Um, and it's a sort of... Um, uh, 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 recurring cycle really mm -hmm. so you need to work out okay what's has anything changed and if so what is a realistic expectation and then if you timetable say you've got somebody that wants sex three times a week and somebody that wants sex once every two weeks you might agree okay a realistic um, outcome is that we have int sexual intimacy once a week mm -hmm. um, but it must be a binding agreement um, and the reason for that, unless there's a really good reason, the reason that it must be a binding agreement is because the person who wants sex more can relax in the knowledge. They're not going to get what they ideally want, but they will get their needs met in some form. Mm -hmm. It's once a week and there will be the regularity of that. The person that doesn't want to have sex as much can relax, knowing their partner's not going to be pestering them the whole time for sex. Mm -hmm. But they must also that sign up and, and and make sure that they're both on board with this plan because if if you're not then it doesn't work but it can be a great way so timetabling and discussing the frequency is really important mm. but you know one of the things we haven't talked about I mean we've talked about communication as being important but talking about sex in itself is a difficult thing mm -hmm. um you know because you have to make yourself vulnerable mm. um and my advice to couples is don't talk about sexual issues in the bedroom. It can be tempting to do that, but often people are already feeling maybe vulnerable. Mm. Um, 
and maybe people are half clothed you know so so actually to to bring up the subject uh, perhaps when you're during sexual intimacy or just afterwards isn't the best necessarily the mm. best time yeah. so I say to couples to say outside of the bedroom to their partner so you might have a the example might be you've got this couple where one person wants sex more than the other so it might be that um, the woman let's say she wants sex more than her husband she might say to him can we have a chat about our sex, our sexual relationship? Because I noticed things have changed mm. and it would be good to talk about it. And you agree a time, maybe later that day or the next day. Um, don't just spring it on somebody because they're much more likely to feel defensive. Um, and then try and talk about it from your own perspective. So rather than saying, um, you never want sex anymore, and that makes me feel really rejected, mm-hmm. you try and say, I'm aware that the last couple of times I've approached you for sex, you haven't wanted to, and I really miss it. And I feel really sad about it. So sort of talking about it from your own perspective helps the other person to be more comfortable in talking about it rather than shutting down because they feel like they're being attacked. Yeah, Mm. that's perfect. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, I mean, one of the things that we, we get bombarded with about, you know, particularly I think women, post children is you know spice up your sex life with x y and z and but i think you know whether it's sort of fantasy or watching porn or um but there's quite a few things in there which for a lot of christians could sort of sit quite uncomfortably um yeah what's i mean you know like for example fantasy for example some some couples might feel that sort of straying if you take jesus's words literally Mm-hmm. Is is that sort of straying towards adultery? You know, if you're imagining other people being involved or something like that. What what's what are your thoughts on on spicing things up as such? So yes, that's a, that's a really good question. I will come on to the fantasy, um, but I think that probably more important when you're thinking about spicing things up is to think about ensuring that you are enjoying doing what what you're doing. You know, you're much more likely to want to have sex if it's pleasurable. And so it's important to think about from a functional perspective, does everything work? So does the man need help with his erections? Is the woman finding sex painful? That kind of thing. But secondly, a lot of the time when I work with couples, when desire is low, um, the woman might say, it's just really boring. We just do the same thing. Um, Or I'm not, I'm, I'm not really enjoying it. Or it's really difficult for me to get aroused. So one of the things that's important is the couples are talking about what, what they're doing and um, making sex playful. Esther Perel talks about this. So she says the two key things are she talks about erotic intelligence. She says you need to be intentional, but you need to be playful mm-hmm. as well. And that's quite difficult, quite difficult for Christian couples or couples with a faith. And I think it's because we tend to we can tend to think about uh, sex as being a quite a solemn thing. Perhaps we've grown up with ideas, you know, sex, you mustn't have sex before marriage. And, and, and people have absorbed that, absorbed that to mean you mustn't do the act, but also it's a very solemn and serious act, mm. uh, which, you, we, we, you know, which, which so, you, <laughs> so, so, so this idea of playfulness and having fun and laughing you know, it's quite difficult for couples, for some couples. Um, so one of the things I talk about um, is if a woman, for example, is struggling to get aroused, and there can be lots of reasons for 
that. Mm. Um, using something like a vaginal lubricant to make sure that sex isn't painful, um, because if sex is painful, you're more likely to get things like recurrent thrush, urinary tract infections, bacterial vaginosis, things that will mean that that that, that you are less likely to, to enjoy sex. And they're all very and, unsexy and, things, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They are. So there's that side of things, but also introducing something like a clitoral vibrator. Um, so we know historically there's been this sort of um, idea that women are, are rarely orgasm. It's, it's this elusive thing that you have to chase down. It happens on high days and holidays. And actually, that's not the, that's not the case at all. Research shows that most women can orgasm reliably, consistently and fairly easily on their own. But interestingly, there's a big gap in partnered sex. So something is not happening for many couples in that research shows that about sort of um, 80, 90% of men will orgasm versus about 60 to 65% of women in partnered sex. So there's about a 30% orgasm gap, as wow. we call it. Yeah. Now, if you aren't enjoying sex or if you know you can experience an orgasm, I'm not saying that an orgasm is the be all and end all, but for many women, they will want to enjoy that with their partner. If she can enjoy that on her own and can experience that on her own, it's, it's important to think about why isn't it happening in partnered sex. And it may be that the couple have an expectation that they're going, the woman will orgasm through penetration alone. And we know from some research done by a, a re, an American researcher called Dr. Laurie Mintz, that actually only 4% of women will orgasm through penetration alone. Mm. So 96% of women will orgasm maybe through penetration, but through clitoral stimulation. So it's the clitoral stimulation that is absolutely key for women's mm. sexual pleasure. So introducing something like a clitoral vibrator, um, uh, it can be really, really helpful. Mm. So I've slightly digressed from your question about mm -hmm. fantasy. It's helpful. Um, and I will talk about that now, but I just felt it was really important to think about um, actually, uh, you know, to be present with your partner in that moment mm -hmm. uh, and to enjoy what they're doing with you mm -hmm. uh, and to you is absolutely key. Yeah. Um, Coming on to the, the question of fantasy, um, it's a tricky one. And it's interesting because I've it's the one thing I've reflected on in my book that I haven't written about. Mm. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why I haven't written about it. And certainly if I ever did a, sexual, a second edition, I would write about it. Um, I think what's important is that we are honest with our partners. And I think, you know, somebody once said to me, and this made me smile and I thought it's so true. They said, it's not like when you get married, everyone else in the world becomes ugly. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, you don't <laughs> suddenly, you don't suddenly switch off in your mind <laughs> to feeling other, to, to, to thinking other people are attractive. You know, the world is full of people that you, you, you can, you can think, well, that they're, they're attractive. I think, um, what people need to be careful about is if their fantasy life takes on a sort of world of its own, which is about which separates them from their from their spouse. Mm. So they, you know, if 
it may be that somebody sees somebody on the telly or they walk past somebody in the street and they think they're attractive. Um, my, my sense is that if we can have conversations with our spouse about the fact that we might we might have seen somebody that we found attractive or we're aware that, you know, or that, you know, somebody on the TV or oh, I think they're attractive, uh, that we can be open about this. That can be very helpful. That can be challenging for some couples, particularly if somebody has a bit of a wobbly self-esteem, the, the thought that their, their spouse might say, oh, I think she's attractive or he, he, she might say, I think he's attractive. Mm-hmm. That for some couples may be really difficult. But I think most couples, if they are securely attached to each other and feel that they've got a strong marriage, can, uh, can vocalise thoughts about finding other people attractive but it doesn't mean that you're going to act on it and it doesn't mean that you know you're you're, that it needs to go any further than that Mm. but I think you know it's it's the difficulty arises where um people's fantasy life takes on a world of its own and also perhaps if people start fixating or focusing on people that you know if you've got some good friends and you find one of them attractive and you're spending a lot of time with them, I don't think it's going to be helpful for you mm-hmm. to, fo- to focus on that person. So I think actually to be really wise. And if you find yourself being drawn to thoughts that mm-hmm. are actually not going to be helpful for your marriage mm-hmm. and aren't going to be something that feels okay to share with your partner, mm-hmm. then actually to really try and steer yourself away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have a sort of climate of openness, Esther Perel talks about this in her book, The State of Affairs. Um, she says that all too often couples don't talk about the inner workings of their mind mm. and what's going on for them. And often that only comes out when where there's infidelity. Mm. And actually what she encourages couples to do is to try and have a healthy amount of discussion mm. around what you find attractive, what you feel drawn to. Mm. Um, and that, that in itself creates emotional intimacy. And mm. um- we had one question sent in from a listener, which reads, um, in my late teens, most of my 20s, I had tremendous guilt about sex, probably for many reasons. It was never spoken about with my parents ever. I felt God didn't approve because of no sex before marriage messages, etc. And it's been hard to shake that off my whole life. Um, what, what advice could you, could you give to someone that feels like that? That is a really good question. And I am faced with that a lot in couples that I work with who, who, who've got a faith and perhaps they've grown up in a family uh, uh, with uh, no discussion um, and uh, they don't see their parents naked. They pick up a sense that there's shame around the naked body. Uh, mm. uh, the television is turned off if anything remotely sexual comes on. Mm. And so the person absorbs actually everything to do with sex mm. is wrong. Yeah. Because if it wasn't, it would be talked about more. Uh, I, you know, My parents wouldn't have a sense of shame about their own nakedness. So we talk in sex therapy about one sexual script. What is your sexual script? And it is really difficult if you've grown up um, and absorbed this message that sex is bad, wrong uh, and dirty, shameful. Mm -hmm. How do you then 
enter into a marriage and just literally overnight yeah. turn that switch? Yeah. It's a really challenging question. Um, I don't think you can turn it off overnight. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you are struggling with this, you need to be really kind to yourself and you need to say it's not a surprise that this is a struggle for me because mm -hmm. all the messages, the parental, the grown-up messages that I got when I was a little person, I've I've absorbed uh, into my kind of being and, and therefore it's going to take time to change. Um, I don't know if this is this person that wrote the question in is married. I'm making the assumption that perhaps they are married and now this is yeah. proving difficult for them. So I think talking to your spouse about this is absolutely key. Retracing your steps in time and talking about where the shameful messages or, or, or the messages may have, have come from. It may be that a parent didn't say anything about sex, but mm. That in itself was quite a strong message mm -hmm. that this isn't a good thing, otherwise we would be talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, thinking about how the couple may be playful. Um, so, you know, what can they introduce into the bedroom that might be playful? Something that sometimes works for couples. It doesn't work for all couples. And you'd have to be, you'd have to really talk with your spouse about whether this work would work for you. But sometimes role play in the bedroom can be helpful because you can sort of um, take on another persona. So you might, you, you, you might want to role play something where uh, you, you are a slightly different character. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting. Esther Perel does a, an interesting podcast that you can listen to where she's giving some therapy to a couple. Um, and, uh, this is actually a Christian couple, which is interesting. And the woman really struggles. Um, but when her husband speaks in French to her and he takes <laughs> a different name, she's able, it's, it's really, yeah. she's able to sort of tap into another version of herself. Oh. It's a, little bit like when we play make-believe as children, mm, yeah. we, you might have a child that's really short, shy and timid, um, and then they play make-believe, uh, they, they play a part in a mm. game, and suddenly you see a different side to them. Mm. They come out of their shell and they embrace a part of them that is usually hidden. Yeah. So yeah. role-play in the right situation can be fun for couples it's and like play therapy for adults basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 play therapy for adults in yeah. the bedroom yeah <laughs> so again you have to Great think advice. carefully about whether that whether that works for you but yeah. i think talking yeah. um picking where the messages have come from mm. trying to read literature or, or or listen to podcasts like this that you know might change slowly over time might change your perspective about sex maybe you've got a good friend that you know enjoys a good sexual relationship talk to them about mm. how they manage that mm. what have been their struggles um but it is it is a very difficult subject and one that i get asked a lot about yeah. interesting i think as as a, a mother as well and um, we're really really short on time but just quickly um so I, I think looking back on on my upbringing, um, mm. my parents weren't particularly secretive, but I was either really grossed out or embarrassed mm. myself as a teenager. Um, and actually, it's quite. A, are you pleased with me, by the way, Becky? I've been internally sniggering the whole way through, yeah. um, but I've managed <laughs> to keep words, that internal. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, as a mother, I would love my kids to be more positive. Be, yeah, have a really positive view yeah. on sex, yeah. and but not be weirded out or grossed out 
is, can you help me with that balance? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the advice when it comes to children is talk about talk to your children as soon as they ask you about where babies come from, mm-hmm. and just you just need to make it age appropriate. Now, most children will start asking around the age of three because that's the age where we start going to take them to farms to look at little baby animals. Yeah. You know, where do where do these come from? Where do the ducks come from? So it's it's completely natural that they would say where do babies come from so we talk we need to talk in an age appropriate way um about where babies come from and don't i wouldn't shy away from the subject from uh, a penis and vagina you might have different terminology that you use in your house um but actually talking about a penis getting hard and going in the vagina so talking about that um and then a seed and an egg coming together and what's very interesting is that children actually don't have a sense of shame if you talk about it in a very natural way like you would take them to the farm they will be able to absorb that in a, a, and they will just then move on with their day it's yeah and i'll be like oh my gosh i can't believe i just said penis yeah. to my three-year-old <laughs> yeah well when when I, when I spoke to, to, to my daughter when she was three, I explained this and she she said, oh, mummy, that is so funny. What's for tea? <laughs> so, you know, there yeah. was no sense of embarrassment. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you need to keep doing that. And, and one of the things that is key is try and talk about um, try and talk about you might use you might say a mummy and a daddy, but not not say. Uh, uh, daddy and I. So don't make don't make the sexual act about yourself. Separate uh, it out. That's clever. Mm-hmm. And talk about a mummy and a daddy, or a man and a woman. However you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you will find that as they get older, they'll ask more and more questions. But I think mm-hmm. the important other important thing is is that um, is try not if they see you naked. Um, or they come into the bathroom, try not to sort of quickly cover up. Yeah. Um, it may be that you you do feel uncomfortable and you need to check what's going on in for yourself around that. Or, I, you know, I'm uncomfortable when I kids see me naked. But try and think to yourself, if you start to quickly put a towel around you, the message you're giving is there's something not very good about the body. Mm. Um, so so quite quite important how we carry ourselves and the way that we act with our own bodies Mm. does give a message out Mm, again little children as you know will it's very normal for them to touch and play with their genitals and again just be really kind and say it does feel nice Mm. um it does feel nice when we touch our genitals, when we touch our bodies and you've got, you know, you might say penis or you might have a, a special word that you use. Um, but that's something we need to do when we're on our own. Yeah. So we're in, our, in the bedroom or when we're having a bath or in the bathroom. But it's a good way to also talk about appropriate touching. So you're not doing it at school or you're not doing yeah. it out when you're at a friend's house. So talk about the fact that there are certain places that it's absolutely fine to do it. Mm. Um, but uh, not on and- my sofa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it might be, but to uh, talk to your child and, and recognize it is a nice thing. Um, I know we're short on time, but one of the things that is very sad is that a lot of the adults that I work with, their parents have, slap particularly for girls which is an interesting subject in itself but they've slapped their their daughter's hands away or they said stop doing that that's dirty Mm. um so the the little girl learns from a young age 
to, to separate herself from her vagina, her genitals, because she gets the message, it's not nice, it's dirty, and I mustn't touch it. So she's disconnected from herself, um, which is not going to serve her well when she's in a mm. relationship where she wants to enjoy her body and enjoy it with her partner. Yeah. The other thing my um, my friend said to me once, which has is, which is stuck with me, is answer their questions but just their questions. So she was saying like, if someone yeah. says, if a child says, where do babies come from? You answer that question honestly, but you don't then go on to talk about, you know, masturbation or something that they haven't that, asked about because yeah. they might not be that ready for that. Absolutely <laughs> key advice. So they will ask what they're ready to hear. Want to know. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say age appropriate, you just got to be careful kind of it, not to overcomplicate things, um, but mm, just yeah. talking very, very t- simple t- uh, terms. Um, it's really, really worth doing this because as your children get older, I've got teenagers now, you know, um, we're having conversations around pornography um, and mm. the impact on that. And it's been so helpful that that I was able to lay the foundations with my children from the age of three around sex. Mm. And I was able to give them the messages that I chose to give to give them or that we, my husband and I wanted mm. to give them. And it's like I've layered it up over the years. So talking yes. about pornography now doesn't feel scary yeah. because I've, they've got a whole foundation mm-hmm. of hearing about sex in a really positive way, in the way that I wanted to discuss it with them. So now talking about negative influences on sex, actually, I've got the foundations there. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Super. Well, thank you so, so much, Emma. There's so many questions. We could literally <laughs> carry on all day, yeah, can we? I'm like, oh, I've got a whole topic. section of the questions <laughs> you wanted to ask. Um, uh, but um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, you can um, read Emma's book. It's called Seasons of Sex and Intimacy for a Husband and Wife in Marriage. Um, I'm sure it's available from many good bookshops. I won't, I won't say the, the A <laughs> word. Don't drop the A. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, we'll put her um, website on um, uh, on our show notes at the end of this. So um you can look up if uh, you want to get in touch with Emma and um, because you do, am I right in thinking that you do online therapy as well? Yeah, so actually I only do online therapy now since COVID. I've done all my work over Zoom, which is great because it means I don't have to, I'm not limited demographically to, to, you know, people that only live in London. So yeah, I work with people all over the country now, which is lovely. Amazing. Well, thank you. I'm sure. Well, hope, hopefully, you know, if someone's struggling out there, they 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 found you mm, through this podcast. Yeah. That would be a real um, blessing, really. And mm. um, have we got time for Helen to just very quickly pray? Yeah, lovely. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Dear Lord God, we are um, so grateful for Emma and her time and her expertise. Mm. Um, and Lord, this uh, this subject will bring up all kinds of different emotions within everybody that's listening. Um, so, Father, I do pray that you would be with us all as we process what Emma has said, as we work out um, whether we need to act on anything that Emma said as well, Father. Mm. I pray that you would be in our marriages, in our partnerships, whoever we are with and whoever this impacts as we parent as well, Lord, would you... Yeah, would you really be with us mm. and be making a way that's straight for us? Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Emma. Thank you very much.
So what do you think of that, Helen? I think I was very well behaved, don't you, Becky? I was internally sniggering the whole way yeah. through. There was a couple of times I had to not look at you just because, and it just shows, doesn't it, how uncomfortable we are talking about Absolutely, sex yeah. because, you know, these were all often sort of female genital, I'm saying it there Vagina. again, yeah, <laughs> related words. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was, yeah, I'm quite pink right now. I'm quite I do blushed. really wish though that I had have listened to that, like just as I'd got married, like my yeah. expectation of of sex in in marriage was yeah I mean I didn't have any expectation I didn't we never talked about it yeah beforehand and yeah I I was definitely could have been done with being better informed so try and change that narrative for my kiddies I guess yeah absolutely and I think and we didn't get to talk about this today did we but um I think it'd be good for the church to sort of look at Mm. at this issue of I think the church talks a lot about what we shouldn't do sometimes um but not necessarily sort of the positive side of Mm. of things or it's kind of a bit you know a bit of tagged onto a bit of sermon in a wedding Mm. of oh you know go be fruitful and multiply and (laughs) (laughs) um but not sort of how you can take that forward in 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 your marriage for a sort of healthy relationship so well hopefully emma's up for a part two i think we've got so much more to talk to her about yeah absolutely absolutely and brilliant Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time. Bye. Bye.